Good morning. Uh, was that outstanding or not? That's phenomenal. That's a tough act to follow, as they say, thinking, well, maybe I can, we can just say amen and I uh, think we're good. I <laughs> think the Lord has more. Uh, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown, if you're visiting and I haven't met you. Also, I'm not typically in this service, so I do feel the need to introduce myself. I'm normally in the second service, so hello and welcome to this Super Bowl Sunday for our beloved Kansas City Chiefs. So, and I did forget something, my water bottle, because I'm probably going to need that. Thank you very much, ma'am. All right. How you guys doing? You guys good? Yeah? All right. So I want to start by just taking you back a little bit in time. Uh, August 19th, 2004 was, was a glorious day. That was the day that our first child, Ken, was born. And so we took Lori in uh, for an appointment, and, and uh, they're checking things out. And, and I do remember, well, Lori remembers it a little differently. She tends to embellish, right? But I, I remember I was pretty calm and felt like in control of everything. And, until the doctor said these words, he said, uh, the baby's coming right now, you need to get to the hospital right away. And as Lori tells it, my eyes became very big and I began talking very loud and very slowly. <laughs> I'm gonna get the van, I'm gonna pull over the front door, you just walk out, you get in, and then we're gonna go to the hospital, right? So we get to the hospital and of course they just flood you with paperwork and She's trying to fill it out. Finally, she gives up, right? She's got a lot going on. She goes, can you just deal with this? I'm sorry, I just, I'm delivered, I got a baby coming. So I take all this paperwork and I'm doing my very best and, and, but there are questions I just can't answer, you know, about her father. So I keep going to her, what's his middle name? Um, what, when's his birthday? How would I know your father's social security number? What are you, what are you throwing at these people? And finally she goes, why are they, why are you asking me questions about my father? And I'm like, well, I'm your man, girl, I got you. I mean, I know you're out of your mind right now, but I'm in control. I said, because Lori is asking for the father's information. <laughs> she goes, you're the father. <laughs> I was like, oh. One of the questions it asked was race. Well, I nailed that one. <laughs> like, I know your dad's white, <laughs> so got that right. <laughs> Actually, I got it dead wrong. <laughs> and um, what a day that was. What a day that was. And, um, you know, Ken, you know, Ken was born and, and uh, it was, it, it was, uh, it got a little uh, eventful, right? Um, Lori was, Lori's always calm, right? Lori is the Lori that you see is, that's the Lori I've always known all these years now. Uh, here she is, I mean, she is just, and you, you think I was the one who was in labor, right? But, um, so we're in the room and, uh, you know, I'm waiting for, we're waiting for the anesthesiologist to come in and, and give the epidural. And, you know, the woman next door, I, I, I don't think she got one. 
And I mean, it, it sounded like, I don't know what was going on over there. But I knew that there was a window, you know, at which, you know, if, you know, if we pass this window, Lori can't get the shot. And I want Lori to get the shot, because I don't want that. So I go out and I'm like, listen, where, where, where is he? And these nurses are kind of doing their business and they're all, and I'm like, listen, I can't believe you guys are out here just hanging out, uh, doing nothing. My wife's in there suffering. I want this guy here right now. You know, I'm just, I'm just right? <laughs> so he comes in a few minutes later, and this is New York, so this is just how it is, and he's serious. He comes into the room, and I guess they had given him a heads up. He comes into the room and he says, okay, first thing, you out. <clears throat> I said, man, I'm not going anywhere. So he and I have a few words. So finally, he says, all right, you can stay. But if you stay, you can't stand where you're standing behind Lori because you don't want to see what I'm getting ready to do. So I went and I just sat in front of Lori. She was sitting on the edge of the bed. I, we, I grabbed her hands and I just wept. This tears running down my face. I, I was so overcome with just, you know, I, I know I'm responsible, right? I'm responsible for my wife and I don't want Lori to suffer any more than she has to. And, but, but when that doctor said, the baby's coming, you gotta get to the hospital right away, life as I knew it changed. The overwhelming sense of responsibility that I had now as not just a husband, but a father hit me like a Mack truck. All right, this is, this is big. Life will never be the same. I've got a big job to do now. The first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel are filled with several portraits of David as a man after God's own heart. You see that very clearly, but you also see many pictures of him as a beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. In those chapters, we see great victory, we see the expansion of the kingdom, but like anonymous music in the scene of a horror movie, well, once you get to chapter 11, everything changes, and the rest of the read of 2 Samuel is a rough read. It's a hard and heavy read. After David's sin with Bathsheba in chapter 11 and the murder of her husband, which he ordered and covered up for a year, God pronounced that the sword would never leave his house, and it didn't. And this is why the rest of 2 Samuel, after chapter 10, is a very rough read. Few things, though, will capture a man's attention like seeing the reaping show up in his family. And it absolutely did with David. I mean, in a word, when you see that as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, uh, that can be a crushing thing to watch. To so know that my family is hurting or my family has been set back, my family has been harmed because of my doing. Uh, this is what David is looking at many times in the rest of 2 Samuel after chapter 10. But through all of this, we not only see David's children, but because we're looking at David's children, now we also get to see King David now as a father, right? And the son that we began looking at last week in Life Fellowship in 2 Samuel 13, 
was his firstborn son and heir to the throne, Amnon, who possessed a lustful obsession for his half-sister, Tamar. And through his cousin, Jonadab, who is a perfect type of the serpent, the devil, Amnon now has been informed on a way that he can fulfill this twisted obsession that he has for his sister, Tamar, which is why we have before us this morning one of the darkest chapters in all of the Word of God here in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And believe me, when I tell you that I really sought the Lord this week on, Lord, is this really where I need to be? I mean, this is this is main service. Maybe this is better, you know, fit in for life fellowship, which is what I would have taught if I was in life fellowship today. I, this is what we would have walked through. But I'm thinking maybe it's 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 better place there. It's a smaller crowd and you know, it's main service, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and it's like, what was this guy thinking? <laughs> you know? But what I can tell you is, is uh, the Lord didn't conceal it from us. It's here for all to see. And so I do believe there are some things that we can learn this morning, should learn, especially fathers. I think the Lord has a word for us So together. We're going to trust the Lord to hear from him on some of, not all, this won't be exhaustive, but I do believe it'll be concentrated, uh, to, to just come face to face with some sober responsibilities of fatherhood. Uh, just maybe this might be what that day was like for me on August the 19th, just the sense of this is a really big job, all right? Second Samuel 13 and we're going to begin in verse 6. We covered the first five verses last week in our time in life fellowship. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat at her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down. And she took flour and kneaded it, and made cakes in his sight, and did bake the cakes. So this diabolical plan uh, that has been given to Amnon to fulfill this twisted desire is now it's landed at the front door of her father, King David. I mean, it's been put right before him. This plan uh, that was designed to deeply wound her has been presented to him directly. And given that it was diabolical, it spoke to the character of David's son, Amnon. It reflected his character. So when, when Peter rebuked Jesus, right, uh, Jesus was able to immediately identify where that was coming from, right? Get thee behind me, Satan. He knew exactly where that was coming from. As Amnon's father, David was responsible for knowing the character of his son. He needed to know that. 
right? Because when you know the character of someone, you're able now to do what? You're able to discern things that they say and do. This is why Jesus could discern what was happening in the moment when Peter crossed the line and rebuked him. He knew where that was coming from. Uh, David needed to know that. Not to mention Amnon's obsession with Tamar. It, it was anything but private. Look at verse 4. His cousin asked him, that's Jonadab, why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Visually speaking, you could see, I mean, Amnon was sick about this. He was obsessed. Like, it, it was in his countenance. Like, it, it was something was off. Something was, I mean, he, he, was, he was owned and controlled by this. Look at verse 1. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her, Tamar. Not a pure love, verse 2. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister, Tamar, verse 4. And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. She was Absalom's full sister, so they had the same parents, unlike her and Amnon. But given that, it would have been hard for Amnon to mask this obsession while trying to deceive his father. I would think that David would have been able to see, maybe he didn't know everything, but, but discernment would say that something's off here, right? But as her father and the king of the greatest nation on planet Earth, he missed it. <laughs> he completely missed it. And that would prove to be extremely costly. So fathers, here's our first sober responsibility. If you're not a father, your day's probably coming, all right? So you're getting a head start. Fathers must discern. Fathers must do this. They must discern. After Solomon became king and God appeared to him and asked him what he should give him, notice the answer, which pleased God. First Kings 3.9, Solomon said, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Uh, this is something that is essential for leadership, whether you be a husband, a father, a pastor, a, a pa I mean, whatever. It's, it's leadership. You, leaders must be able to discern. That is, they have to be able to separate good from evil, good from bad. They have to be able to do that. If there was anything that David's fair or beautiful daughter, virgin daughter, Tamar, needed from her father right now was this, right? She needed her father to be able to discern for her. This was huge. This was a massive moment. And one of the reasons that exercising discernment for us as fathers is so critical is because, listen carefully, it takes years for children to learn discernment. It takes years for them to learn this. It is believed that Tamar would, would have been around the age of 15 and at this time, and as we're going to see, she was unable to discern what was really happening or what was about to happen. A five-year-old can separate 
the simple and obvious good and bad. They can do that. But the question is, can they discern that someone wearing a smile on their face, offering them a lollipop is actually a wolf in sheep's clothing? That's a different level of discernment. Different level of discernment. That's, that takes time to develop. Therefore, fathers and parents, we have to exercise this for them. All right, so we'll look at verses seven and eight again to see our next point for study. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I do have to watch the clock. Verse seven again, then David sent home to Tamar saying, go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress him meat. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was laid down and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cake. So David, the father and king, was deceived by his own son. And that is what happens when there is a lack of discernment. When you can't discern, you are vulnerable to deception. He unknowingly, but listen, inexcusably served up his precious virgin daughter on a platter to a wolf. I mean, he served it to him personally. Here you go. Listen, fathers must protect. Fathers must discern, but they also must protect. What a shepherd is to a flock, fathers must be to children. And essential to shepherding is protecting those in our flock. Consider Ezekiel 34, verses 5 and 6. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they, came, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill, yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth and none did search or seek after them. Instead of feeding and protecting God's sheep, the nation of Israel, their shepherds, their spiritual leaders allowed them to be scattered and ultimately taken into captivity. They were derelict in their responsibilities. Listen, when leaders fail to protect those that God has entrusted to their care, the price will always, always be very steep. Very, very steep. But listen, one of the ways, fathers, that we protect our children is by not allowing them to be in situations that they are ill-prepared for. This is big. Tamar was not prepared for. She was not ready to square off with the cunning and diabolical Amnon. I mean, she was way out of his league. She was not ready to discern on this level. I think we should all be at peace with the mode of education that we choose for our children. You're gonna know what's best for your children than I will ever know. So whether that be homeschool or Christian school or public school, you walk through that with the Lord and be at peace with that. Um, our son just graduated uh, last May from public high school. 
And our daughter, Lord willing, should be graduating here in May. For us, um, you know, they were both in Christian school for a while, but what ultimately gave us peace to put them in public school was us discerning where they were. Are they ready to deal with the academic agenda of public school? Are they ready to deal with the social scene of public school? Can they discern all of that? That's ultimately what gave us peace to put them in public school. What are they ready for? Where are they? Fathers, please listen. Do not be indifferent or too quick to sign off on your children participating in activities and doing things, right, that seem harmless or trivial or seem normal. You've got to know who they are, where they are, and what they're ready for. Like, you, you've got to, listen, I believe every husband ought to be a great student of his wife, and every father ought to be a great student of his children, which means you study them, you pay close attention to them, and you make decisions accordingly, right? There was nothing harmless or trivial to David about what Amnon was requesting, but oh my goodness, it was anything but harmless or trivial, right? No, it could not have been more opposite. Okay, this next point will be extracted from a very dark place, but it is here. As you look at verse 9, And she, Tamar, took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have out all men from me. And they went out every man from him. And Amnon said unto Tamar, bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat of thine hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber of Amnon, her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly, and I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. Howbeit, he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than her, forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. And she said unto him, there is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. Then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, put now this woman out from me. And bolt the door after her. And she had a garment of divers colors upon her. For with such robes were the king's daughters that were virgins appareled. 
Then his servant brought her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and rent her garment of divers colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went on crying. And Absalom, her brother, said unto her, Hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? But hold now thy peace, my sister. He is thy brother. Regard not this thing. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Unto the pure, all things are pure. Titus 1.15, that was Tamar. And listen, my heart, my heart is enlarged, it is extended to anyone here today or listening who identifies with what we've just read in a deeply and personal way. With everything in me, I want you to know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for that, and through him, there is total healing, there's total peace, there's total restoration, there's total joy, there's total hope, there's complete victory. Please know that. But as far as Tamar knew, she was there to minister to her ailing brother. I would imagine that she felt on some level honored that her oldest brother, the heir to the throne, has personally requested her presence to come and minister to him in his sixth state. But there were two warning signs in verse 9 that uh, something was off and it would have been great if she would have caught it. The first one was when he refused to eat. And the second one was when he ordered everybody out. But again, that required adult-level discernment. Once Amnon's wicked intentions were obvious to her, she, knowing the shame that she would face, she tried everything that she knew to try to stop him from moving forward with this. But as pure as she was, he was as evil. Like the man who had his father's wife in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which was not named among the Gentiles, Tamar tried to remind Amnon that no such thing ought to be done in Israel and that this is folly. Even though the law forbade it, she even tried to persuade him to petition their father, the king, to have her hand in marriage. Under the influence of the devil, Amnon would have none of it and proceeded with his wicked plan Being stripped of honor and dignity, Tamar believed that the only option left for her was to try and remain and try and redeem this situation some way, somehow, and become his wife. If a man had forced himself on a virgin that he wasn't engaged to, he was responsible to make a payment to her father and marry her and never divorce her. This is Recorded for us in Deuteronomy 22, but once again, not allowed. They're siblings. In addition to the shame, Tamar was devastated in knowing that her chances of marriage now have been greatly diminished. I mean, he has wounded her beyond imagination. And to add insult to injury, 
He threw her out like a piece of garbage. This is a tough read. And it should be very noticeable that in her grief and mourning, she went to her full brother, Absalom, not her father, David. I understand the cultural implications of that being her full brother. He had a responsibility to take care of her and take her in. I get that. But given what had happened to her, I can't help but wonder why she ran to Absalom after that. I mean, we're not talking about her needing a place to stay for the night because she's traveling and, and Opson's got to take her. No, no, we're talking about the worst moment, the most horrific hour of her life has just happened. I couldn't think of a better place for her to be than with her father. The Bible doesn't say, so I want to be careful, but Amnon's bold and cruel treatment of her I believe would have indicated to her that he had no respect for David as his father, nor did he have any respect for David as his king and did not have any fear of retribution whatsoever. And I think she would have known that. And I think we can see that as we keep going here, but we should also note that at no point in this chapter is Tamar ever referred to as David's daughter, even though she was? She would have also known how much Absalom adored her. So much so, in the next chapter, he's going to name his daughter Tamar. He loved Tamar. And unlike David, Absalom seemed to know about Amnon's character because he connected the dots right away. Notice what he asks, hath Amnon thy brother been with thee? That was an intimate insinuation. Unlike David, he was very aware of Amnon's character. And when we learn later in this chapter that it was on this day that Absalom determined that he was going to avenge this. I will make this right. But listen, this is the last that we read of Tamar. That she remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. And that too was heartbreaking because in all likelihood what that meant was she would never marry and have children. Not to be inappropriate, but Amnon was a selfish pig. He was a dog, the worst kind. Listen, here's the third point, fathers. Fathers must teach. Fathers must teach. One of the ways that children learn to discern is being taught about the realities of a fallen world. We must teach them the realities of a fallen world. This is a dark world inhabited by many dark people. Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may, be, may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. 
and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Unreasonable and wicked men who have not faith, like Amnon, are capable of great darkness, and our children must be enlightened about those things. Our children need to know that people like Amnon are not the boogeyman. They're not fictional. They're real. They have to know this, fathers. I was enlightened on this as a child between the ages of eight and nine growing up in the city of Atlanta, where in the, the, from mid-1979 to 1981, about 28 African-American children, teenagers, and young adults, mostly boys, you can see the picture on the screen, who looked just like me, were kidnapped and murdered. No, there was no boogeyman running around the streets of Atlanta. There was no uh, monster that, in my mind, was like a cartoon character. No, he was real, and he was hunting kids just like me, who didn't live far from where I lived and did things like I did every day, like go to the store to buy candy and to be found dead three days later, or to be playing outside hide and seek and to be snatched and killed. That was the score. I was not saved during that time, but I did learn this. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I knew then as a kid that it was absolutely foolish of me to not walk with my head on a swivel. It could be costly. I had reminders every day. My, my mother, I remember her walking me to school. My mother walking me to school and, and she, had, she had her, she was right hand, so she had her, she had me in her left hand, right? And then in her right hand, she had her coat and in her pocket, she had a 38 pistol in case this monster jumped out of nowhere to try and snatch her kid. I mean, this was, <laughs> the days were evil. And they are evil. As our children age, they must learn to read people and situations to know when something or someone is off and what they need to do in the moment. We taught our children things like, adults should never ask you for help. And here's what that could look like. Here's what that could sound like. Keep your distance from any adult that is paying you too much attention. That's abnormal. Something's off. Listen, no one... I mean no one, including your parents, should ever touch certain areas of your body. That is never acceptable, that is never allowed, and should that ever happen, you have to perceive that as an attack on your very life and you have to fight to defend your life. I give you permission to do everything within your human power to not let that happen. 
once they were in high school, particularly my son. Remember very clearly, if you're ever at a gathering, at the moment at which you see alcohol, drugs, or fornication, get out immediately, no questions asked, get away and call me. You don't want to be there. My daughter, who is as precious as tomorrow was, means more to me than I have words. She's beautiful, she's pure, she's a father's gift. The best little girl that a father could have ever been given. But I recognize that she is much more of a target than her brother. So we've had extensive conversations about when you're out, what that looks like. Your head has to be on a swivel. Here's how you have to be able to read and discern certain actions and certain situations. When you know that something is off, when you know that you're being hunted, you know that you're being trailed, you have to be able to identify predatorial behavior. Your life depends on it. And what to do when you believe that that is the case. Don't dismiss what you're sensing and what you're reading. I know this might be hard and uncomfortable to think about, but this is the world that our children live in. I'm sorry. What would that have looked like here for tomorrow would have been when Amnon refused to eat and ordered everybody out, she would have known. I gotta go, right now. I don't know everything, but something is off. I'm out. Okay. Verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto his brother, Amnon neither good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. From here, Absalom would wait two years and for the right moment to deal with Amnon, and he surely did. But David, as a father and as a king, he should have been very wroth, right? Absolutely, but here's the question, what did he do? The answer is nothing. That's what he did. He did nothing. And... <laughs> To add insult to injury, it is implied here that not only did he not do anything, but he didn't even say anything to Tamar. This is negligence and fatherhood in the most egregious of ways. And when you keep reading the book of 2 Samuel, it won't be the last episode you see of it in David's life as a father. And while Tamar remained desolate in Absalom's house, there are two things that I would imagine would have been very hard for her to dismiss. One would have been what Amnon did to her. 
and what her father did about it. Because David never did anything. And by now, she definitely would have known what her father should have done. Leviticus 20, verse 17. And if a man shall take his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and see her nakedness, and she see his nakedness, it is a wicked thing. And they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. He hath uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his iniquity. At an absolute minimum, Amnon should have been thrown out of the kingdom, if not put to death. Given what he had done, David might have found it hard to discipline Amnon, but listen, that did not dismiss him from his responsibility as a father and as a king to do so. Especially given that Amnon expressed no repentance, no brokenness, no contrition about this awful thing that he had done, this wicked thing. Listen, fathers, our last point is this. Fathers must discipline. Fathers must discipline. Ephesians 6, 4. Sometimes familiarity does breed contempt, right? I think sometimes we see verses that are very familiar to us and, oh yeah, I know that. But some of us might overlook what is the obvious here in Ephesians 6, 4, and ye mothers. Is that what it says? No. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, we need to know that this word nurture is translated in Hebrews 12 as, guess what? Chastening or chastisement. Hebrews 12, 9, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Fathers, please do not dismiss or overlook how the Bible directly corrects you to your responsibility to discipline your children. That's on you, that's on me, we take the lead on that. Listen, fathers, if you haven't reconciled this yet, it's like everything else in your home. Your wife is your helpmate. So Lori helps me in parenting, but I'm responsible. I, 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 I don't farm that out to her. No, she helps me parent the children. Listen, adults who were not biblically disciplined as children 
are prone to lack the fear of God and struggle with submission to authority. I have seen this over and over and over and over and over again in our society. And when there is no fear of God, fathers, guess what? When a child does not have the fear of God, when it comes to sin, any and everything is on the table. Like what we're seeing here in 2 Samuel 13 with Amnon. That level of darkness and wickedness and evil is on the table when someone does not fear God. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. When done biblically, discipline says, I love you. Now that was hard for our kids to understand when they were young. <laughs> it doesn't feel like love. <laughs> According to the word of God, though, the choice to not discipline says what? I don't love you. But fathers, we must be aware that there is a short window for this betimes, early. Where's, is Ken here? Where's Ken? Is Ken here? Where, where are you? Oh, you? Oh, you're up here. Oh, there? Okay, you're up there. All right. If, if, I, if I took a paddle out now, He's already laughing, <laughs> right? If I, if, if I took a paddle out and tried to, you know, when he was like two or three or four, I mean, he's taller than me now, you know? Man, he, he'd laugh. <laughs> so, all right, go ahead, man. Get it over with, you know? I mean, that, that window is closed. <clears throat> However, David wasn't dealing with a five-year-old. He was dealing with his son, who was a young man, and he still could have, as the king, he still could have and should have disciplined him. Fathers, for God's glory and the benefit of your adult children, even now, do not be afraid to exercise tough love if necessary. If necessary. As I close, it might be that someone needs to simply walk down the, these aisles today into the loving and compassionate care of someone that you just simply need to have them help you take your heart to Jesus. And I want you to know if, if that's you, don't, don't be intimidated by that. You're in a room of people who love you more than you will ever be able to understand. And they will not be thinking why you're coming down or anything like that. No, it is the best thing that you can do because the Lord is able. He's loving, he's compassionate, and he longs for you to know him and partake of his marvelous glory regardless of what you might be bringing, he can handle it. He's able. But there might be some fathers here today who need to just simply come down and put a stake down and say, you know what? 
man, I have been passive for far too long. I have, I, 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 I have been looking to my wife to do the heavy lifting on this parenting thing. And, and I realize I've got some sober responsibilities that God has given me today that I'm going to own as of right now. Love to see you Friday night. We're going to keep talking about things like this when we talk about envisioning. So if you haven't signed up, please do so. We've got to order a lot of food to feed you guys. So help us out with that. All right. Whatever it might be, man, please don't dismiss it. The game is not till later. We've got plenty of time. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> and we thank you, Lord, that even in a heavy and dark chapter like this, there's hope, there's grace, there's victory. Lord, you're able. So God, I just pray only you know the heart and mind of everybody here and who heard what and how they heard it and why they needed to hear it and what they need to do. But whatever they need to do to respond, God, would you, would you help them with peace to be able to do that and come forward and pray with someone and talk with someone and and uh, just get the help that is theirs that you offer for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.